This week on One Body Stewarding God's Creation, sociologist Dr. Jerry Cox talks about fear of dying. What do most people fear about dying? Are their fears justified? Well, let's find out. Dr. Jerry Cox is being interviewed by Divine Mercy Radio's on-air host, Kelly Roper. It's Dr. Jerry Cox talking about the fear of dying. So we know that all, before we talk about the introduction, we know that all good things begin with prayer. Would you be willing to lead us in a prayer for this next segment? In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Father, we ask that you be with us as we present these ideas and hope that they will help people who need to understand dying and death. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Jerry Cox, Ph.D., is a professor emeritus of sociology at University of Wisconsin in La Crosse. He served as the director of the Center for Death, Education, and Bioethics. He has over 100 publications, including over 30 books. He has served as editor of Illness, Crisis, and Loss and for the Midwest Sociologist. He is a member of the International Work Group on Dying, Death, and Bereavement, the Midwest Sociological Society, the American Sociological Association, the International Sociological Association, Phi Kappa Phi, and Great Plains Sociological Society, and the Association of Death, Education, and Counseling. He served on the board of directors of the National Prison Hospice Association. First of all, you know, I got to just have you tell us a little bit about you before we dive into these questions. Just a little bit about you and and really what brought you to this is such an intriguing um, career that you have here. And, you know, and just share with us a little bit about you for those that don't know you. I grew up in Indiana, Muncie, Indiana, which you've probably not heard of. But I went to school with Jim Davis, who uh, does the Garfield and then David Letterman later at, at Ball State. Wow. I uh, went into Peace Corps, and while I was in the Peace Corps, I come from a family of lawyers and judges, so they expected me to probably do that too. But when I was in the Peace Corps, I decided I'd rather do something different. Yeah. So instead of taking my scholarship to law school, I went back to get uh, a degree in – at that point, I was just uh, going to get a degree in history, which I did get a master's in history, and then went on to get degrees in sociology. I had. Um, first cousins who were older than my parents. So I probably went to more funerals than most people when they were young. Mm-hmm. And that probably had something to do with it. I had rallies in racing and saw people die in, in, in Annapolis 500 and other places. So yeah. all those things probably contributed to it. And then uh, the Peace Corps, I saw a lot of people die there. Yeah. And so when I returned, I, I just did a little more with Durkheim and others who wrote about suicide and things of this sort. So. And then I began to, I wrote my master's thesis on attitudes toward dying and death, which is one of the things that is yeah. involved with what we're doing here today. Yeah. And then my PhD thesis, I expanded that even further. So. Yeah. You know, right now we're, we're living in crazy times, right? With yes. this worldwide pandemic going on, many people have had to come face to face with death um, of loved ones or their own lives. And, you know, when something like that happens, we realize we're, we're not immortal, you know, right. that, that, you know, it could be us. And uh, so it's created a lot of fear. Why are people so afraid to die? 
Well, I think there's a distinction we need to make. Mm. There's a fear of dying and a fear of being dead. Mm. And I think what we're, most people are talking about now is fear of dying. Mm. They don't want to have the pain. They don't want to be alone. Mm. Uh, one of my sisters died with COVID before Christmas last year. Mm. And uh, it was before they had the shots and so all. Mm. <clears throat> she was um, very careful, didn't do anything to meet with other people. She even had her groceries brought in. She had to go to work one day. And a lady who knew she had it came in too, but didn't tell anybody, uh, and she ended up dying. Um, uh, when we think about COVID, probably the, the thing that most of us worry about is being left alone. Um, I'm sure you, uh, we have a daughter who's a nurse, and she talks about how her patients felt being alone and couldn't have visitors and so forth. At least now most of them can, yeah. and that's changed a little bit. The um, the fear of, of dying for most people, I don't know if you've ever heard of Rabbi Earl Groman who wrote many books in this field. He says that basically most of us are afraid of the pain of dying. And in fact, most of us won't have much pain in our dying. A few do, the percentages are small and I could give you research numbers, but mm -hmm. that's not really important. Only the dead really know what it's like to be dead. <laughs> and the, the two exceptions would be Jesus and Lazarus. Yeah. And neither of them talked about it, so it must not be too bad. Okay. If, the, if it were just awful, they would have told us. As Catholics and Christians, some of the people fear death because they're afraid they've done too many bad things, if they really believe in life after death. And then the people who, I think the real thing that we have to think about is our attitudes toward life. If you really feel that you've lived every day fully, you have very few fears of death. The research shows very clearly that people who truly believe that their life has meant something, that it has meaning, have very few fears. You feel like you've accomplished what you wanted to accomplish. If you were to die today, would you do anything differently? If you would, then you should change the way you're living. Mm -hmm. I told that to my students for many years, and I could tell you stories of Many, many who actually quit their jobs and things because they knew they should be doing something different. And I always felt guilty yeah. until later when they said, well, it actually worked out. Yeah. All of them did, fortunately. Yeah. The fear of pain, though, we have so many good things to help us with pain. Bill Lammers, uh, he testified in the OJ trial as a uh, DNA expert, so you may have seen him on TV. But his big claim to fame was starting the first hospice in the United States. And in um, California, um, near San Francisco, Marin, I can't think of the name of the town, but something like Marin. Anyway, um, he developed the first pain medications for cancer patients mm. because he felt if you have a lot of pain in your life, you can't really live. Mm -hmm. And so we need to help people to deal with their pain, to manage it, then they can enjoy life. When people are dying, we tend to focus on their dying. Instead, we should focus on living until you do die. Yeah. We could die today, any of us. Yeah. They, the people who have terminal illness and capital punishment both tend to have better attitudes toward dying because they know what's coming. Okay. The rest of us don't have any idea. Right. And that makes it harder. Hmm. Interesting. Say, say that one more time because I'm trying to, to really wrap my head around that. The, the people who are condemned to die, who you know, mm -hmm. are on death row or whatever, say that again. They can prepare. They know exactly at 12 o'clock or whatever, I'm going to die. And so they can get everything in order in their mind with the people around them that they need to. They can, um, one of my good friends that I taught with here, 
was dying with a terminal illness, he put together a video for his funeral or for his wake, and people watched it, and his first thing was, why is everybody looking so sad around here? Did someone die? Hmm. He believed in humor. He taught humor at Fort mm-hmm. Hayes. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to do that. We need to, to yeah. think about the people who are surviving us. Do we yeah. want them to really feel awful? Yeah. <clears throat> you probably heard the phrase, the good die young. Yeah. Well, the reason they die young, it isn't, if they live to be 150, that's too soon yeah. because they're good. We all have that aunt or cousin or somebody who just makes us feel miserable. You never visit long enough, often enough, whatever you give them. Well, you gave so-and-so something better than me. Yeah. You always grieve more for those people and hurt more than for the good people. Hmm. And that's why the good die young. It isn't that they actually die young. It's just that it's too soon, no matter when yeah. it was. Yeah. Is there more anxiety of isolation from COVID and fear of dying alone that helps trigger more panic? You talked about that a little bit already, This, this, um, the isolation that occurs with COVID and, and the fear mm-hmm. of dying. Is there anything that you want to add to that? Yeah. Um, death is an event of life. And if we think about it, like birth, childhood, youth, in the cycle of life, death is part of that. Theologian John Donne, whom you may have heard of, he taught at Notre Dame for many years, and he just died this year. He said that what we have to do is to understand that dying is part of living. Earl Groman, I mentioned a few moments ago, Rabbi Earl Groman, said the leading cause of death is birth. If you hadn't been born, mm-hmm. you wouldn't have to die. <laughs> yeah. And I always thought that was pretty profound if you actually think about it. Yeah. <laughs> Dunn says that death is either the end of the, the cycle of life or a turning point like birth and the beginning of another phase of existence. And, of course, if, if you look at uh, American Indians, the Navajo, for example, have a phrase they use with dying people, we live and we live again. And, and their conception is that death is not the end, it's mm-hmm. just a change of, of status or who you are. When we think about, again, going back to Jesus, he wept when he heard Lazarus died, but he knew he was going to raise him from the dead, but he still wept. Mm-hmm. And that's what we do. The point is, we miss one of the, our fears is that we'll miss those people. Uh, you won't know who won the Super Bowl this year if you die before that. You won't know if your child graduated or if they get married or whatever. And part of our fears are the things we're going to miss. It isn't just the physical loss of our body yeah. that we think about. What can anxiety about death win? When can anxiety about death become? Unhealthy. You know, we, we hear about, you know, things like that all the time about how stress, mm-hmm. you know, affects us. And, you know, I, I talk to a lot of people all the time, and it seems like I've never been, lived in such a time where there's so much anxiety as mm-hmm. there is right now. Tell me how that affects, you know, the human condition, the human body, the health of, of individuals. Well, being older, I remember people being this way before, too. But <laughs> <laughs> Oh, do you see? Yeah, I, yeah. I, I just, I'm I much older than you, though. <laughs> well, I don't know. Not that much, but, but thank you. <laughs> okay. um, all deaths are difficult, but the most difficult deaths are traumatic deaths. And when we think about trauma with, with dying, it's the same. You're grieving for yourself instead of for others. So it's, it's a form of grief. Yeah. And traumatic grief, uh, when grief is bad, is when it keeps you from functioning as you normally function. If a man kills his wife, not only his wife is lost, but also being a parent and all the other things is lost. When we think about what's awful or with us, 
a violent death. All those things are awful, but fear of death is like that. It causes just as much trauma to us as dealing with those kinds of things, mm. if you're that afraid. Yeah. And the way you become afraid is to focus on the dying, the pain, the missing, all the things that are going to go with that, instead of on, on what you have, the blessings. Yeah. And one of the things that being Christian and being Catholic, we should focus on blessings. We will have crosses to bear, of course, but think of all the good things you have every day, the smiles you get from people when you walk yeah. down the street, yeah. and just little things. Yeah. When we think about our saints, the people that become saints, and hopefully all of us are future saints, yeah. if you feel that you're making a difference in somebody else's life, then you'll have better attitudes. But the other thing is gratitude. Yeah. Do you really appreciate what people are doing for you? Do you appreciate when someone opens a door, you just look at them, what are you doing that for? Mm -hmm. Attitudes are the basic thing that makes us deal well with our dying or not do well. And if you have bad attitudes, you're not gonna do well. The problem is we learn them from people around us. And if everybody around us is afraid and saying bad things, then we will have more fear. You need to be around positive people. <laughs> and the other, that's those good people I was talking about before, right. the good that die young. Sociologists generally say that when people have great fears of death that are unhealthy, it's because they don't see the good in their life mm -hmm. and they don't see the good that they've accomplished. Yeah. Grandma Moses, there are probably 100 people. I read, in fact, I saw a book, 100 people who made great things in life after they were 65. Mm. Think of all the things. Maybe your role is to be the best grandmother ever. Yeah. And you can't do that until your children are grown. Yeah. American Indians, they talk about snow on the mountain, which is gray hair. Once you are an elder, then you have wisdom and so forth. People look forward to getting old in American Indian cultures. Mm -hmm. in, the, in our culture, we tend not to. Yeah. And we need to be more like them. Yeah. They have a lot less fear of death than we do. Yeah. And they even sing songs when they're dying. Wow. You That's... know, you've seen that in movies probably, if nothing else. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. okay. yeah. You know, when, when my mother-in-law was dying, she would say, you know, she varied between, and I'm probably getting off topic here, but, okay. but she varied between, she would say, they're singing. They've been singing all day, you know, and, and she would vary between that and there were bugs crawling on the wall. And she would go back and forth, hey, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, you know, so when you said singing, it reminded me of, of that vision. It was just so hard to watch. It was wonderful, of course, when she was saying they're singing, mm -hmm. but when she's, you know, saying the bugs are crawling on the wall, you know, yeah. it, is it just delusional or is she actually, you know, I... Depends on who you believe. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who was a friend of mine, I worked with her a number of years ago before she died. She believed in out-of-body experiences and uh, she wrote a book about near-death experiences. She talked about one lady who saw her father with the people who had already died, but he was still alive. Well, it turns out he had died in a car wreck mm. and 300 miles away or so. So she knew he was already dead and she was okay with it. As Christians, we lose the people and we, we have grief because we lost them, but they're going to be with other people. Mm. And so they're being greeted by the, the people that we love there. Mm. The, the one thing I didn't mention earlier that maybe I should, there are people who are afraid that there's no life after death. There's no reason to be afraid of that because if there isn't, you won't feel anything or know anything anyway. Yeah. And that's another thing John Dunn suggested that why be afraid of 
life, not having life after death, there's nothing to fear. Yeah. Mm. And then your pain will all be gone, whatever, too. Right, so, yeah. right, right. You know, and you talked about the the you know the white hair and and you know the the Indians. Um, I think you said it, really embracing that. There's a scripture verse. I've had I've had gray hair. Gosh, since um, <laughs> I I had it in high school. You know, mm-hmm. I was coming in in high school. And my daughter once gave me like a little refrigerator <laughs> magnet that was huh? scripture verse about you know gray hair is a yeah. a sign of living a good life sure. or something along those lines and. I, I can't say I've never colored my hair, but it never would do very well. So it just I just let it go gray. But but uh, you know it just I, I I do think that maybe you know we spend too much time and too much mm-hmm. money worrying about looking young. Yeah. You know, and and it certainly is a you know it's difficult to see ourselves getting mm-hmm. getting older. But but I got to think that you know it's it's a part of life and it it's getting me closer to. To getting into to heaven yeah. and and what happens when we die? Well, we don't really know what happens when we're dead. I yeah. mentioned that a while ago. Yeah. But the biological processes, any nurse or hospice worker, any any of those people could tell you all the physical symptoms and things. Yeah. You know that um, you can spot people who are dying, and very often, if they're really that close to death, they know it too. And I've been with very few people who are dying that didn't tell me, you know, this is it, I'm going to die tonight or whatever. Uh, One of the fears that people who have terminally ill husbands, wives, whatever, have is that they won't be there when they die, that they'll die alone. Interestingly, the people who are dying often prefer to die alone Mm. because they don't want them to suffer watching them die. And yet, when people do die, it's usually very peaceful, so it isn't something to be afraid of in that sense. Yeah. In in terms of uh, going back to um, our ideas about how to deal with this, spiritual change is one of the things that we need to work on. If you have bad attitudes, then you need to look at your spirituality. And whether you're looking at Catholic spirituality or whatever, any spirituality would, would help. Look at your relationships with others. What are you not doing? Are you focusing on work? When you come back home to an empty house after a funeral, was the big house really worth it? Getting the big car because it was a good deal, was it really worth it? In the funeral procession, only the car in front's important, right? Mm-hmm. So just think about what's important in life. And also, appreciate what you have. Mm-hmm. How many people focus so much on making more money or I just need that promotion if I just win the lottery? Would it really help you live better if you won the lottery? Mm-hmm. One of the things, I've, I've worked with hundreds of uh, people who had a lot of money in my career. I, in my early days, I actually wrote for television shows, and uh, so I met those people, and I worked in sports for a lot of years. When you make a, a lot of money, uh, Larry Bird was my father's hometown, so I knew him, for example. Mm. He was always concerned people only wanted to be his friend for his money. Mm. He didn't want to date because he was afraid they'd just marry him for his money. Do you really want money to mm. change your life? Mm. It wouldn't change it for the better. And everybody you know and all your relatives, well, I'm, I want to start a business. Can you give me the money? Or I need a house. Or my water heater went out or whatever. Those things aren't going to be good. I don't think it make you better. Yeah. And then the other thing is to look at yourself. All of us have great strength that we don't tap most of the time. Yeah. And if you just look into your heart, what do I really want out of life? You'd be surprised how much better your attitudes would be. Mm. Mm. And again, there's a lot of research that shows that 
these are the things you need to do. Right. It's yeah. not the the money is it's a fleeting thing, right? It's, yeah. it's you know it and makes you can't the, take it with you. <laughs> exactly. I you know the, the 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 line that I use all the time is the only way to take it with you is to give it away. We need to take a short break right now, but stay tuned to Divine Mercy Radio. We'll be right back with more from Dr. Jerry Cox about fear of dying. On one body stewarding God's creation. One body. Fear of dying. One body stewarding God's creation. With Dr. Jerry Cox. One body. One body. Ellie Roper conducts the interview. One body stewarding God's creation. Dr. Jerry Cox right now talking about the fear of dying. Does fear of death drive our behavior? Sure. It absolutely does. Yeah. But I wanted to comment on what you were just talking about first. I come from a a cultural tradition that uh, leads in sharing. And um, I host an international death, grief, and bereavement conference in Wisconsin every year. And this is the 42nd year this year. Wow. And we have speakers from all around the world. I bring a gift for everyone who comes mm. because that's what you do. If you invite people, you give them a gift. Mm. And if you come to my house and you admire something, I would give it to you. Wow. And a number of years ago, I had uh, I spent time with the, the Navajo, and I had a number of R.C. Gorman paintings. And someone admired one, I gave it to them. They said, how can you give away something so valuable? Well, because you're a valuable person. Mm. And there's no question, I don't remember the exact biblical phrase, but it's better to give than receive is the way people translate it. Gratitude brings peace, Mm -hmm. and peace makes life worth living. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're this thing about uh, driving our behavior, if you give things to other people and you believe in sharing, if you're taught that it's more important to make other people feel good than yourself, it's amazing how much better you, you feel. When I was in the Peace Corps, there was no question in my mind that I got more from those people than they did from me. Yeah. And I told them that when I was leaving. They said, but you gave us so much. Yeah. When you give to others, you get back too. And that helps our attitudes and our behavior. Yeah. Um, if you live every day fully, and as I already said, if you would die today, what would you change? You should do that. How do you overcome the fear of dying? Basically, by focusing on living mm-hmm. and living every day. Yeah. That's what I would suggest. And I would also throw in, I guess I'm getting ahead of the next question. That's, okay. but that's, right. that's right. Social support and community are basic to this. Yeah. There's no question that traditional societies and ancient societies had less fear of death than we do mm. because they had people around them. Yeah. We look at our phones all day long or we're working or, you know, we don't share like we used to. When I was young, I think we shared a lot more than we do today. Yeah. And as kids, we played together instead of looking at our phones together. Yeah. There's no question that ritual is important, too. Ritual gives us, I guess the word would be symbolic recognition. It says that when we do a funeral for somebody, of course, you, you won't see your own funeral, but the people living will. But uh, for other rituals, too, ritual makes us feel important. It makes us feel that people care. 
And that's very basic to our attitudes. If we don't think anyone cares about us, like the person who was suicidal, why go on? Why would you want to live? I've had people tell me after their spouse died, I don't want to live anymore. Mm. Would they want you to live more? Yeah. Would they want you to go on? Of course they would. Yeah. And they cared about you, and you need to think about that. Yeah. You need to think about your mother and father. They, they cared for you, too. Prayer and faith are basic, too. Yeah. People who pray, people who have faith, people who have relationships and uh, spirituality and social support and community all have better attitudes and face death better than people who don't. Yeah. On the other hand, atheists also do very well. Yeah. Because they know there's nothing, they don't. They're not afraid. Yeah. So it's both extremes. Yeah, interesting. That's yeah. really interesting. Yeah. Um, hadn't thought about that because I, you know, I often say, you know, I don't know how people without faith make it through all the difficult illnesses yeah, and stuff. I, I it to me, you know, you offer it up. You, you know, yeah. you see some good in the suffering that you're going mm-hmm. through, and you know, I. But you know, for the atheist, I, I get what you're saying. You know, they, mm-hmm. you know, it just yeah. is right. Yeah. It's just a part of life, part of the life cycle. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. so go for it. Huh. I would also say we need to. Um, I saw a movie called Secondhand Lions. I don't know if you saw that. I have seen it. It's one of our favorites. One of the things that Robert Duvall says, the story is true even if the facts aren't true. Mm -hmm. And we need to look at what's true and what's real. And what's real for me may not be what's real for you. And for the atheists, what's real to them may not be real to us. The other thing I would throw in that helps us with our fears of, of death and behavior and whatever would be decreasing isolation. If we can affirm our past and look at what we've done, then we can have hope for the future. And if we have people affirming us, we can accomplish that. Mm. But if you're all by yourself, it's very difficult. Yeah. I think hermits must be, it must be difficult to be a hermit. Yeah. I did the Camino de Santiago, I don't know if you ever heard of that. I have. I did it twice wow. with our son that was a priest. Wow. And we met a lot of hermits. But they were out there every day giving us food and drink. So they were still with people, even though they lived alone. And I think that helped. They were giving, which makes their life meaningful. And that's what we need to do. Yeah, excellent. Wow. And boy, that... that, uh, The Way, right? Yeah, Mm -hmm. The Way. Way of St. James. Yeah, just a beautiful... You Mm -hmm. know, and you've done it how many times? Twice. That's a lot of walking. 540 miles each time. <laughs> I remember that very well. <laughs> that is, that's, to me, that's amazing. It just, but, but they say that the beauty and the spiritual aspect yeah. of it as well. And at the end, don't they have like a, a sensor that's like, you know, I've never been, but oh, I've heard the stories. Um, it takes eight people to move it. Yeah. It's that big, yeah. Yeah, and you know, for those listening, 50% statistically for Catholic Radio, 50% of the listeners are not Catholic. So mm-hmm. when I say censor, it's the, the incense that they, mm-hmm. they use, the holy smoke, you know, the, yeah, that, right. uh, you know, the incense that they use, and it's just a huge ball that, that swings. I've seen pictures of it, you it, know. It travels probably 40 feet in the air and on a pendulum <gasps> each direction. Just amazing. Our, our oldest son was a priest, and so he did mass every night in the towns that we were in. And they'd ring a bell because a lot of the towns didn't have a priest, so people would know to come to mass. Wow. <clears throat> wow. Wow. And that was part of the spirituality. And there were so many just wonderful spiritual places to stop along the way. Yeah. In Burgos, for example, if you remember the story of El Cid, the uh, leader who yeah. helped drive out the Moors. and. Uh, 1492. His horse is even buried in the, the cathedral along with El Cid. 
Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, it that's was. very interesting. Yeah. Wow, I did not know that. Wow, that's that's very interesting. Okay, well, we are talking with Dr. Jerry Cox. I'm talking about the fear of dying. Do you find that older people are less afraid of death, and if so, why is that? Well, those who feel their their lives have made a difference have less fear. Mm. And when you're older, you you can look like if you have children. I think my greatest accomplishment was raising our five children, and they all turned out well. Yeah. So I think that, that's one of the things. If you talk to older people and listen to their stories, if you get their memories, all those things help them feel that they've accomplished something in their yeah. life. My father was in World War II, and um, he had a, a lot of stories he could have told, but he didn't talk about it. When he actually got to within a few days of dying, he wanted to say a little bit about the bad things that happened in war. Sometimes they wait till the very end. But you need to, one of the things that people do today is genealogy. If you would ask them the stories that would be part of your genealogy, you would appreciate them so much more. I remember going to wakes as a child. We did a lot of wakes. And I would hear stories about the person who had died and I'd be, they really did all that? Yeah. One quick example. One of my uh, cousins died probably 20 years ago now, and uh, he had been a firefighter. When I knew him, he was a mechanic for the fire department. That's all I ever knew him to do. At his funeral, they had bagpipes, they had police and firemen lined up from the funeral home all the way to the fire station where they dumped his ashes from a, a truck. Turns out he had been chief and his lungs had gotten seared in a fire because they didn't have the equipment they have today. Mm. So he ended up working on trucks and things instead of being chief. Mm -hmm. I never knew he was chief. No one ever told me. They just yeah. assumed I knew. Yeah. I gave a talk at TMP a few years ago when my oldest uh, or my youngest child was still there. And I mentioned being in the Peace Corps. They didn't know I'd been in the Peace Corps because I never really talked about it. Yeah. You know, we need to find out what our family members have done. Yeah. And if you do, then they appreciate that you cared about what they did. Yeah. And it makes their life have meaning and purpose. Yeah. And it makes them less afraid to die. The other thing, of course, is community. You know, they say it takes a village to raise a child. What well, also takes a village to deal with the elderly. Mm. I, I come from a tradition where nursing homes weren't used. And um, I have my first relative in a nursing home right now. And he had been in World War II, Vietnam, and Korean War, retired uh, military. And uh, he's been married 74 years now, and he and his wife were both there. Um, the stories he has told over the years. But at any rate, the, the village thing, nursing homes are trying to make up for what families aren't doing, I think, to a certain extent. Yeah. We need all these people around us to be a part of our daily lives. Yeah. And if they are, you don't have nearly as much fear of, of death. And the other thing you need to think about is, what, what have you done that made you the most happy in your life? Mm. If Instead of what was the worst thing, like my father of World War II, when we talked to him about his good things, he had plenty of stories of good things that he had done. Mm. And so we focused on those. You need to reframe your interpretation of yourself. And if you can do that, you don't have fear. Mm. The, the song that I always think about is Be Not Afraid. We sang that at masses ever since I can remember. I don't know what year it was written, but ever since it was written, that's one of my favorite songs at Mass. There's no reason to be afraid. We spend more time being afraid of things that never happen than of things that do. Mm. And the things that do happen, we didn't even think about happening, yeah. like my sister getting COVID, you know. 
that was and, and my brother also got COVID, but he survived. What are the things that you've done that made you? I can't think of the right word that I want to use, but for other people to look up to you, to to admire you. Most of us don't realize how many people look up to us. Mm. I know in high school, um, I went. I had 2,200 people in my high school class, so we had all sorts of famous people ultimately. And you looked up to the athletes, you looked up to the scholars, but there were also other people you looked up to too, who were just really neat people yeah. and they didn't realize because they weren't a star or they weren't rich or whatever that people looked up to them and how many of your your siblings who are younger look up to you mm-hmm. and sometimes the older ones look up to their younger siblings we don't even think about that and we need to or your children i mean you oh, certainly absolutely. want you know your yeah. adult children especially mm-hmm. you know to to form that yeah. you know relationship and sure. And uh, yeah, what what a good. Basically, good it's a validation of, of your life. Yeah, you need that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, you know, for those that you have been with who are dying and who are afraid, you know, that's got to be just a a really difficult situation to be in. Um, you know, how do you minister to them? Any mm-hmm. suggestions? I think I should mention first, though. I worked in probably 40 different countries helping with hospices and setting them up and so forth. Very few people have great fear. It's the exception rather than rule. Mm. Most people, when they're actually dying, the terminally ill typically don't have super fears. Mm. Um, our one daughter is a hospice nurse and she talks about how she learned so much from the dying about how to die mm. that they did it so well. But for those who feel they've wasted their lives, the people who feel they've never accomplished anything, never done anything useful, they're the ones who have the, the most fear. Frozen feelings, they, they keep looking at something happened 30 years ago or whatever. People who have um, no rituals and basically have amb- ambiguity in their life. Um, Pauline Boss, you, you may or not have heard of her, but she uh, has written a lot about um, ambiguous loss and ambiguities and how they make us have fear. So uh, the opposite of that, of course, is resilience. The people who are dying with a lot of fear, you need to help them tap their strengths that they have inside themselves to be resilient. Think of the worst thing that's ever happened to you. You survived that. Mm. Think of the worst day you've ever had. You survived that. One of the things I tell grieving people is the worst day was the day your loved one died. You made it through that. So you're going to make it through Christmas. You're going to make it through Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. It'll be hard, but you already know you, you have resilience. Yeah. And so what I do with people who have fear is try to tap their ideas about what they've accomplished that they didn't think they could. Yeah. In our training in the Peace Corps, they uh, tied our hands behind our back and our feet together, and we had to stay in the ocean for an hour. And um, they wanted to teach us that we could do things we didn't think we could do. I wasn't much of a swimmer. I didn't have enough body fat. I couldn't float. Uh, <laughs> but in the ocean, of course, with salt water, it was a little easier. Yeah. Um, I could tell a quick story about that. But the, the point is um, they had us do survival hikes. We had Marines doing our survival training. So they did things that the Peace Corps quit doing the next year after that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but at any rate, uh, Pauling Boss suggests that what we need to do is to find our abilities to resolve situations. We've done it in the past. Mm-hmm. We just haven't acknowledged it. Yeah. We need to acknowledge that we do have strength. 
that we do have the ability to, to make it. And of course, the other things I've already all talked about a lot, our family, our community, our social recognition, all those things can help us tap into our resilient self. Community is, of course, the most important one, I think. As Catholics, and I'm sure most Protestants who are listening too, your community of faith should be a help. When I was young, the first person you'd call when someone died was the priest. Now it's the, probably the funeral home, or maybe the hospital, I don't know. But anyway, uh, we don't call the priest like we used to. That loss of community has probably led to more people being afraid. We need to understand that those people who prepare all those meals for the funeral and everything, they cared about the person who died, yeah. and they care about you. And so as a dying person, we need to also understand that people do care about us. Christmas is coming, and one of the things that I, I, I have a bereavement group that I'm working with this afternoon, one of the things they asked me last week was, how can we get through Christmas? You can do two things. Keep your traditions you've been doing, or make new ones mm -hmm. to honor the person who died. Mm -hmm. When I was in Japan, I've been there a number of times, uh, working with a family, their son had been a race car driver, and he died of lung cancer. He wasn't a smoker or anything, but he died of lung cancer. The Japanese have walls that move, and so they made a room and put in his trophies and statues and things for their religion to honor their son every day, so they go in there and say prayers. That's a new tradition. Yeah. An old tradition might be putting up your Christmas decorations the way the person who died did it. Yeah. So find ways to honor them. Yeah. And the other thing that I would put it, throw in here, is everybody you love in this room? Oh, heavens no. <laughs> Therefore, yeah. you can still be loved even when you're dead. Yeah. You can love the dead. Tom Attig, who, who, another um, person in this field that writes about uh, bonding with the dead, you can bond with them too. There's no reason to take them out of your life because they're dead. Mm -hmm. And there's no reason to assume that because you die that you won't be a part of your children's lives and other people's lives. They will keep you apart. They will continue to love you. Mm -hmm. And that's part of the community too. We have to understand that love doesn't end because you die. Yeah. And that, and that helps with those fears. You know, we, we've talked a lot about the, the fear of dying. And so I'll share a little bit of um, kind of a, a personal story, two different stories that go along with what you were doing, if we have time for both of them. But one was, you know, my mother died alone and in her home, and I was the one that found her. Um, really rough, really rough to, to walk in and, and find that. Um, but you, you were talking about how people know. You know, she had um, her will set out on the, on the desk, yeah. you know, and, and she had told my brother, don't tell Kelly, you know, that, that, you know, but she had been, you know, having some things and she didn't want to go back to the hospital again. She's like, yeah. don't tell Kelly, she'll make me go to the hospital. And my brother to this day really regrets that he didn't say mm -hmm. something to me, but, but she did not want to go. And, and uh, I do think people have that, that sense. You know, her Bible was sitting out. She wasn't Catholic, but she had her Bible out. And the other thing was that I had COVID and I was in the hospital and I was pretty doggone sick. And I was shocked that I wasn't really I wasn't nervous, but you know, I wasn't. I wasn't afraid. You know, I was. I was. That, but the flip side of that was that every time they would come in, like to do some kind of, I was. I was really afraid of getting a pick line because I was going yeah. home with antibiotics and stuff like sure. that. 
I was, you know, I was like, why am I not afraid? Why was I not afraid of the dying? But I was afraid of getting that silly pick line. And then, you know, it just was crazy. The lady, you know, mm-hmm. made it even worse because, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. Anyway, but but is, is that unreasonable to, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, but I was I, and I remember saying, OK, give me my rosary. I'm going to hold my rosary while they're inserting this. And and, you know, I would pray over and over again, Jesus, I trust in you, and it would bring a peace. You know, mm-hmm. even when I was nervous about something that they were sure. doing, you know, that that it would bring that peace. And I've had people that were in great pain that would pray to die. Yeah. And then they would realize, even though I'm in pain, my family still needs me. Yeah. You know, they're always, not everybody's in tune with their bodies. Not everybody knows they're dying right away. But yeah. the people that, you know, um, I'm a runner, and I know runners Tend to, like Earl Groman was a runner, and um, the other rabbi, Harold Kushner, that we used to run together, he wrote uh, When Bad Things Happen to Good People, if you've read mm-hmm. that book. I have, yeah. Um, both of them were very much in touch with their bodies, they said, because they're runners. And both of them knew that when, well, Harold's still alive, but um, certainly uh, Rabbi Groman knew that he was dying. Because yeah. he sent out an email telling everybody, he appreciated everything, you know. So, oh, yeah. How nice. The the thing that goes with all this, I would argue, is empathy. If we have empathy for others, our own pain becomes less of a problem. It's more manageable because we don't want, you know, you you surely. I don't know what your parents are like, but like your mother trying to protect you, they don't want you to suffer because they're suffering. So they may not even tell you they're hurting. It's their empathy they're caring for you, mm-hmm. and that makes it easier for them. Yeah. So we need to be empathetic. Um, a name, if you want to read more about it, Jack Jordan wrote about this, empathetic uh, feelings for others. It helps with the attitudes. There are people who don't ask for help. You know, I- I'm one of those. When I'm in the hospital, they give you that button. I've never, ever used it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't want to bother them. They've got too many people they need uh, to take care of. Yeah. And even if I needed care, I probably didn't ask. I saw a cartoon on Facebook the other day. Maybe you've already seen it. I think it was Winnie the Pooh and the Piglet or whatever he's called. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the two characters. But yeah. one of them said to the other, we die a little every day. And, and the other one says, no, we live every day. We mm-hmm. only die once. Uh, and we need to focus on the living every day, not the dying. Yeah, yeah. What, that, a, what a great message yeah. that is. You know, and... and uh, you know, what was it, the, the quote that I was hearing so often at the beginning of COVID was, some people are so afraid of dying that they refuse to live, mm-hmm. you know? And, and, yeah. I, and I, you know, I think there's a lot of wisdom, not just with COVID, but across the board that can apply to mm-hmm. so many situations. And uh, I think we do need to, yeah. to look at the positive and look at, at all of the good and, and not look at dying as a bad thing. Yeah. You know, if, if, if it's, you know, God's will, then, you mm-hmm. know, by all means, just, just get me to confession. Thanks for tuning in to this week's One Body Stewarding God's Creation Show. If you're a business or service that can support this One Body Show, please note that your promotion would run three times during the show, which runs five times a week. Interested? Call 785-621-4110. You're listening to Divine Mercy Radio 105.7 KMDG Hayes. 
101.7 KJDM, Linsborg, Salina, 88.1 KRTT, Great Bend, and 88.1 KVDM, Hayes. If today you hear his voice, pardon, not your hearts. One body, stewarding God's creation.